we can't uh, tell you a lot about Brother John's uh, background uh, because of the clandestine areas that he worked in. And so just know that uh, it's really, you're, you're getting to see, you know, you hear stories about people that serve in forward areas. You hear stories about people that, that are doing things that are literally uh, sometimes dangerous. Well, this is one of those people. And, uh, and it's really neat to see what he uh, gets to do now. He'll tell you all about that. We had dinner with him last night. You know, he reminded me, steady. He's a steady, persevering type man. And uh, boy, I, it's just neat to see. That, that's last week when I asked you for a show of hands for how many of you in both services, if you didn't grow up in a Baptist church, it was well over half the, the congregation. Now you're seeing where that money goes and what it does to share Jesus with people that are never going to hear about that unless somebody goes. So, uh, John, come on up here, brother. Let's give him a clear view welcome and uh, tell him we love him. Kim, did we cover everything? Okay, John, it's all you, friend. Great to be here. Yeah, thank you so much. Well, first of all, I, I want to thank you for a number of things that uh, you do and you might not do uh, knowledgeably. So I'm just going to thank you, start off the bat. First, I really like the fact that, uh, that you care about missions around the world and what Ariana is doing. Uh, it's just so right at the heart of what God needs to have happen around the world. When she was talking, one of our key items that we look at at all of our folks around the world, are you abiding, abiding in Christ? You, you know that verse, uh, which I'm sure y'all all do know, there in John 8, 31, it says, if the most, that's the most uh, uh, challenging word in this whole verse, if you abide in my word, you will be my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So I think you have an answer to the if pretty soon when you start looking at uh, the keys to look at it and see if you really do that. We've just, uh, along with some of our other partners, uh, been involved in a survey uh, that uh, has gone around the multiple countries uh, of over 550,000 people. And it is disturbing on the if part because it says if you just engage with God's word one day a week, you can hardly tell the difference between uh, a person who engages one day a week in the general population. It's not much better for two, not much better for three. But when you get to where you're in God's word at least Four times a week, abiding. Abiding is just the opposite of Hindu meditation. Hindu meditation wants you to get everything out of your head. Abiding in Christ is wanting you to abide in what he said, how he works, how you can hear and walk with him. And so when you start abiding like that, you're 227% more likely to share your faith. I mean, things like loneliness changes. Uh, pornography decreases. Uh, you just name a whole set of things. So what they, the essentials to life, that path to purpose that, you, uh, that your church is on, uh, it, it found, finds its foundation in God's word and God's spirit just working in you. And I want to thank you for being that kind of church uh, because that's what the mission process is all about, people coming from churches just like this. Uh, and uh, I've talked to several who've already been connected with things that, that 
uh, we together do around the world. Just as uh, one, one point on the Great Commission um, uh, offering that you have, that's one of the ways you express something that you may not know. You actually own the IMB. Uh, we are not owned by... Uh, a secular board. We're not owned by people there. We're actually owned by churches like you, and we are yours, and we want to be able to serve you better in your mission needs around the world. And so thank you for the way you give. Thank you for the way you pray, uh, because praying for mission is where it really begins. Uh, it, it, one of the things I was just thinking when Ariana was there, the reasons when you look back over God's plan for even Tennessee having the gospel, uh, uh, come from somewhere. And uh, in the 1760s, 1770s, 1780s, 1790s, um, two things happened that come from the Midlands in particular, just a little south of where Yorkshire is. Uh, there were prayer meetings there. And prayer meetings that launched the global mission movement that, that came to, to places like Tennessee, which was a frontier place that nobody even knew the gospel here. And so we have a partnership, you know, some of the things that you need to remember is from whence you came. And, uh, and that's where our spiritual heritage has come from. And then until maybe 20 or 30 years ago, uh, most uh, Christians evangelical Christians in the United States read the King James Version of the Bible, which, you know, it, it shaped us. Uh, I still have verses. I can't. I'm old, so, you know, I, I remember learning the King Jimmy. But, uh, but uh, you know, the, that's, that has ingrained, has set a course in who we are. And so we have a real responsibility because, you know, the, uh, the gospel has to reach every generation, or if it doesn't, re it, once, it, once it misses a generation, then everyone loses that great heritage. Now, regretfully, God doesn't have grandchildren. Everybody is a firstborn, uh, first generation Christian. So thank you for, for supporting that. Thank you for praying for them. Thank you for responding to all of the needs around the world, particularly in COVID. And uh, I, I love a church that goes. Uh, Guatemala, <laughs> I, I, when I was young, my parents lived in Belize, the last part of, of uh, their mission career. And uh, so I used to go to Guatemala frequently, and I love Guatemala. That's one place I hear you. I've gone many places. So you've gone uh, to Eastern Europe, and you've gone all sorts of other locations. Thank you for going, because that stirs your heart. That helps you participate. And, and then that helps you also recognize when God sends people from the world to your location. So you are prepared by your going to receive, and you can reach uh, those that are moving in. And from your pastor last night, I learned that, I mean, you're getting a lot of people from California, and many of them uh, need a home, need a church home, need a place to be received. You're receiving lots of people from the subcontinent, from South Asia, uh, people of Indian origin. They're coming. My city in Richmond, Virginia is 7% uh, uh, South Asian. And um, 
They, uh, they come a little different than most uh, immigrants. Uh, these guys work for Capital One and a whole bunch of other things, and uh, I actually can't afford to live in some of their neighborhoods uh, because they have really uh, taken on. But they still need to be welcomed with the gospel. And so I love that you go, and I love that you have a local plan here to begin to, to, to keep you going uh, out from the church to lost people. And I love the fact that you send. Uh, this 5% that you will be giving uh, here in a few months, that 5% goes and joins in with um, probably about 27,000 of our 48,000 um, Baptist churches across America to send missionaries together together uh, as we go to the nations, go to the places. And uh, unlike a lot of uh, places, uh, you can find most all of our money and our personnel, about 91% of our people are working with unreached peoples around the world. And so we, we focus on that in, in large extent. And so thank you for being willing to send because our goal is to go where people are born and they live and they die and they have little or no chance to ever hear the gospel. That's, uh, that's where we feel like somebody has to take that extra effort. Uh, roughly about 5 billion people live in that kind of world. There's 7.8. Just a little fact and then we'll look at God's word together and uh, the mission. But just one of the things about who you are and where God placed you. Uh, I was born in 1955, so that officially makes me old. Uh, but when I was born, there was less than 3 billion people on this planet. It wasn't until 1962 that we hit 3 billion. Today, there's 7.8 billion, all made in the very image of God, uh, as marred and as pervasive as sin is in it. And they need a Savior. Uh, we also live in the century. If you go from 1999 back to 1400, you only get around 14.9 billion people. If you go from 2000 and the prognostication for this century, we'll have 25 billion people. So God did not place the disciples and the apostles uh, in this century. He placed us where more people, more people than ever have ever lived, and, and maybe more people than have lived in all of history uh, live, and they're in need of a Savior. And uh, it's not, your pastor can't do the job around here, as you already know. He needs you to work here, and we need us. And uh, the challenge that I'm going to uh, hear for myself and for you today from this scripture is that God wants all of his people all of his people to take what they have, what God's placed in their hands, what skills, what opportunities, what relationships they have, and meet the needs of the world, which are both found in the demonstration of the gospel by serving and caring for people and the proclamation of the gospel by telling them the good news of God, that Jesus rose again and that they too can have life eternal. So let's pray and, uh, and begin this time in the Word for the next few minutes. Father, uh, we are so grateful that uh, when we call you Father, that not only relates us to you, but it relates us to each other. And so, Father, this morning we come as your children in this place, and, 
And we come as those who might be seeking you in this place today. And we just ask that your spirit work in our midst today. Open your word up to our hearts and lives. Show us this world in which we live that we might love you and serve you with all that we are. So if you have your Bibles, and one thing, Pastor, I love about your church, just a brief survey walking around here this morning. A lot of these people said that they came with their sword, and you said, you don't go into battle without your sword, and I am proud of that. Now, you can have a Bible on here, you can tap to it, you can swipe to it, but you can also turn to it. So this morning as we come, I'd like you to turn to Romans, which uh, sort of go to the back of the book almost, and you'll find it after the after Acts. Uh, I have no idea what page it is in your Bible, but it's 1051 for me. Uh, so starting in the first verse, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scripture concerning his son, who was a descendant from David, according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead. Christ Jesus, our Lord, through whom we have received grace, unmerited favor. We've, we've received apostleship, uh, ascentness, uh, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including all, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. As we look at this passage of scripture, we see what good news is. Uh, the good news is so startling here. It is categorically different than any other good news that you might find because this is the good news of God. Uh, this is the, that good news that he sends. And in this passage, we will see a great commission that takes us to the ends of the earth. And we will see some opportunities that God is giving us to do that. But in that, it is one that he has promised. Uh, you start there in Genesis chapter 3, and you look, what did he say in verse 15 to Eve? He said, one of your seed will uh, have his heel bruised by the serpent, but he will crush his head. That is the first, first moment when, when God said, this is good news. You're not stuck outside the garden forever. You, there is going to be a way back. There is going to be a way back to me, and I'm going to bring it through the seed of a woman. Now, if you read through the Bible, you will find that Jesus is distinctive in that sense that uh, God uh, didn't use a man to bring um, Jesus into the world. He was, the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary, the woman, and brought us salvation through her son, who was his son. He was the God-man in that place. Uh, that is a very different kind of thing. Just as if you read the Bible, it startled me when I first realized that. He is called the Son of Man. But in the midst of who God is and how he works, he works with his promise that he is given beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Uh, so from the beginning of this book forward, God has said, I have a progressive, long-term plan. And the reason Jesus 
came and the reason he hasn't come back is he wants you to be part of his plan, to be able to be involved in what he is about. Uh, he even says that he's a descendant of David. If you look at Mary's lineage, she comes from David. It's an interesting thing if you look at that lineage in Matthew. Uh, very few lineages have both a, a, a father and a mother. And uh, if you look in that lineage, you will find at least three others besides Mary in that place. They, they God worked through people bringing his good news to us in what in Matthew is called Emmanuel, God with us. And in that, he is real. This is not folklore. This is not something that happened outside of history, but in history. One of my great privileges in life is to have lived in Jordan for many years. I also uh, had responsibility for our work in Israel. And so if you've been there, uh, you will probably know the physical geography there. It's 56 miles from uh, Jerusalem to Amman, Jordan. But you go through a pretty big dip. Uh, it's called the... You go down to the Dead Sea. It's the, the whole Jordan Valley. It's the lowest point on the face of the earth. And so when you go down through there and you, you get in, uh, uh, through there and you take a, a little mini bus up to the city of David, up to Jerusalem, I used to get out and I always suddenly got this ang just feeling of excitement because when I got out of that uh, small van and I walked a few steps, I could look to the right and there is what is called as Gordon's uh, Calvary. Um, he was a British general who did archaeology and other things there. And you can see it. It's a cliff that has two holes up high and one down below. And, and just a few feet from there is, is a, a grave that's empty. Uh, and when you walk into that grave there, you see that the place where Jesus would have laid is on the right if you read in Mark, it says that the angels were on the right. A lot of details come to life because you see this gospel, this good news is not a myth. It is something that has tangible facts in history. So when we come with the good news for the people of this day, we're not coming and saying, well, uh, you can imagine this. No, you can go back and look at it. You can feel it. It has that kind of power uh, to go. I, uh, living in the, in the physical geography of the Bible is one of the most enthusiastic things that, that has just pushed in enthusiasm into my soul because I can tell you, as one who's had privilege to look, that that promise is not outside of history. And people around the world that we go to, they, they wonder Oh, they wonder about that. And, and so as you look at those things, you find out that it is a plan according to Scripture. Uh, Paul also, just as a little cross-reference, why this resurrection is so important. If you go to 1 Corinthians 15 and you look there in really the first seven verses, you will find in about verse 3 that he was, de was delivered to him of first importance that Jesus would be born according to the scripture and that he would die according to the scripture and that he would be resurrected. And then he goes on to say that there were 500 who saw him. 
And they were still alive, and you could go to them and talk to them. He also goes on to say that, you know, James first, then the apostles, the other apostles in those days, and then him as one born out of time. They, this is not a myth. This is something that happened physically and spiritually in that moment. So we see that. And this decisive action of Jesus is really good news. This is when he came in power. That's what it says, in power. He is the powerful son of God. He has the very words of life. I first lived in North Africa um, for a while. And uh, in the 1990s, there was a big civil war in Algeria. Probably none of you heard about it. But about 150,000 people died. And uh, I lived next door. And uh, Arabic was the language that I was working in. But anytime you're speaking in a second language, you're, you're a little slower, a little simpler. Primarily, you don't have as big a vocabulary. And, and uh, you have to work through a lot of stuff. So this guy had come from Algeria. I met him, Smile. And uh, he was from the Kabil Berber uh, group. And uh, he came and... We made friends. His Arabic was not a whole lot better than mine, so we had a lot of fun talking back and forth. And he loved to come to my house. When he came to my house, he liked one thing more than anything else I had. I had a video of the Jesus film. Now, you know the Jesus film is in more languages than any other film in all of history, close to 2,000 languages. It has propelled more Bible translation than any other action that has ever happened in history. Uh, but he loved it because it was in his language, which he spoke Kabili, which or Amazid, which is a Berber language. It was there. And he would sit, and I didn't know much about that language, so often I'd just leave him alone. But one day he said, John, watch this with me. Now, I'll just have to confess right off the bat, I'm an action movie guy. I like the good guy coming out and the bad guy loses and the good guy wins. My wife said, you really like all that? I said, you know, it's less complicated than those movies you like where I'm not sure who wins and all the emotional stuff. I like it to be clear cut. Good guy, bad guy, good guy wins, bad guy loses. Uh, but, <laughs> but this movie, the Jesus film, is a great film, but uh, it's slow. I mean, and so I'm sitting there with them, and in Tunisia, they always have this espresso stuff, which is uh, like, and I had a double direct. That's a double espresso, sipping on it just to make sure I didn't fall asleep. And um, I was sitting there, and I watched them. And in the movie, you see where Jesus comes out of the synagogue where he's just really read from Isaiah 61. And, and Jairus is servant has come and said, my master has need of you because his daughter's ill. And my friend smiled. He looked, he said, John, it's coming. I said, what's coming? And I looked a little bit as they start going there. And if you live in the Muslim world, when you go to a funeral, oh, it just hurts you. Because of the wailing. I, I had been at a funeral just shortly before that of, of my landlord's daughter uh, who committed suicide because she had failed the baccalaureate exam three times and she felt like she had no future. 
And I remember standing with him, and, and as the people would come up and they would stand beside, speak to him, nobody stood with him but me. He had invited me there. And uh, they would say, haram, it's forbidden. And there was no comfort in that, no comfort that, uh, that you have when you have a resurrected Savior who gives life eternal to, as a free gift to those who will entrust themselves to him. And, and as they picked her body up to carry it from that home, I mean, I can still hear the same kind of screams that you hear in that, that film uh, of Nadia, Nadia. They wanted her to have life, but there was none. And I walked behind this man who was a close friend, and I felt like, oh, I have gotten here too late with the good news. I mean, I was still in early stages of, of studying, but he knew I was a friend, that I cared for him, but he was in such anguish. And as you're in that film, you hear those same kind of screams as you go through it. By this time, it's smile. He's standing up. He's got goosebumps. I'm still sipping on coffee, trying to have some excitement in my soul. He walks in to the... Jesus walks in, and they say, you don't need to come. She's already dead. Jesus walks in, and he reaches down and says, Talitha kum, child, arise. My buddy is standing up going, John, see, Jesus has the words of life. Now, that is when you know it's good news. This guy didn't have the words of life. He came to faith in those days, and he was still excited about the fact that sin and death was not going to rule his life. He was going to live forever. That is what your church and what we proclaim around the world. Jesus has the words of life. In the midst of COVID, Jesus has the words of life. One of our guys from uh, in the desert area, the Sahara Desert, wrote in his report last year, he said, God won not COVID in 2020 because he'd been working for eight years to get the gospel to a tribe out there that had nobody in recorded history, had never come to faith, nobody who would be standing around the throne in that 7-9 vision that you see in Revelation. And that year, in the midst of COVID, the first one stepped into the kingdom. And you had a part in playing to sin that guy breaking down people who would be born, live, and die and never hear the good news. Now they are starting to have a chance, and that's what you are part of. You see, as you look about this, you also see what the size of the task is. Uh, when you look down here, it says about obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all nations. Uh, I'm pretty sure that all means all. Uh, that means there's nobody left behind. Uh, it's the all and the every that is stated there in, in Revelation. Uh, and, and that's our commission. I mean, if you read the Great Commission, you find a little reverse order in how it is stated. It says that, that we are to go and make disciples of the Pentateuchne. All the nations, all the ethnic groups, and then we're to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then it says, teach them 
to obey all that I have commanded you. And then, lo, I am with you. Or below, or look-see. I like that phrase there. Look-see. I'm going to be with you to the end of the age. Paul's saying the same thing right here. This is the great commission to carry it to all people. Uh, and not to leave those out. That's why it was so important for you as Southern Baptists to, to send that couple, that couple who put eight years of their life in getting the gospel into a format that they could understand. These people don't read. They do speak a form of Arabic, but to get it down and get it in a way that they could begin to understand it and to tell it and tell it enough so that it started to work through the, the doubts and all of the chains that Satan would hold them with and bring life everlasting so that they might know that Jesus has the very words of life. So our task, our task is what you do right here locally because God's bringing people from places that you cannot imagine to your area. And he says, I have given you those same words of life to represent. Uh, that's what I love about Paul here. Paul says, I'm a doulos. We've sort of uh, lessened it a little bit because we don't like the word slave. Uh, but he says, I'm a slave. I'm owned by Christ. And I am a servant in the way that I'm owned by Christ. I serve. I do things for him because he has said for me to demonstrate, demonstrate that love. Jesus came into the world and, and, and he went about doing good. Uh, he, he changed people's lives. He changed lepers. He brought them to heal, brought, healed them. And, and only one came back in one of those sittings. He, he fed the hungry. Uh, he took the downtrodden and lifted them up. And, and he says, I want you to be like that. I want you to serve me like that. Um, and then I like the fact he says, apostle. Uh, which really means ambassador. Now, this is from Southern Baptist history. So this might not resonate with many people here, but for years we had this thing that we always wanted to train, particularly young boys. We called them royal ambassadors. We wanted them to be ambassadors. Now, that's long since gone by the wayside, but it's still a fact of the Bible. God expects us men and women to be ambassadors. So in the midst of that, we are proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming it together with demonstrating it together with others. And so, you know, God wants his servant ambassadors, you and me, uh, to bring the unmerited favor. That's what grace is. It, Sometimes we just think grace is sort of a magical thing from God. No, it's his unmerited favor poured out. Bring it to all of those who will entrust themselves. Entrust themselves to Christ and receive the power of the resurrection which breaks sin and death. Kim and I were talking uh, last night and... Uh, about something that has happened uh, years ago. And, and I was telling her on October the 10th, I got an article written about this thing again. And it happened in Yemen. Uh, for years, we have uh, had a medical thing there at the Jibla Baptist Hospital. Um, and uh, 
That had been going on since about 1967 or so. And, and tens of thousands of people were treated there. But um, on the last day of 2001, um, a man walked into the hospital and sent a, a page, paging, this is before the days of texting, a page to Dr. Martha Myers. Uh, she was from a little south of here in Alabama. Uh, she was an unusual woman. She, she became an a, um, OBGYN in the 60s when very few women made it through medical school. Uh, she did those things. She was very credible, but God had worked in her heart and called her to Yemen. And she had been there 25 years at that point. She and I had had many uh, interactions. And uh, we, you know, as a young leader in those days, I often wondered, well, you know, what good is she doing? Uh, because there was not a lot of visible results of this witness there because it's hard. Uh, I actually had an interesting conversation with uh, uh, the, the Catholic uh, mission organization leader who uh, was in that area. It's called the White Fathers. And uh, he told me, he said, yeah, I think y'all will be the ones who will be able to, to see the gospel breakthrough. We've been trying for a long time, and, and we don't have the staying power that you do. Well, <laughs> we're wondering if we had the staying power. But, but on that day... This man walked in, and uh, he shot Martha through the eye, shot Bill, the hospital administrator, through the chest, and Kathy also, and then shot at Don Caswell, who survived. And this article that I got on, on the 10th of October, 19 years later, written by a Yemeni, focused on sharing this with Yemeni people, said this was the day that Yemen was betrayed. I was, when I saw that title, I went, wow. Yemen was betrayed. And, and my mind goes back to it because I got the call immediately. I was in, in Kenya at the moment. And so I got on a plane. I flew up through Dubai all the way and got, it's about four and a half hours south of Sana, and then out from Ib, and if, just for context, you might have heard of Ib because Osama bin Laden's last wife was from that city. And uh, out there, I got there, and uh, I began to walk through that town. I just said, I just got to go meet these people. And I was walking, and people would come up, and Yemenis wear the sort of Scottish kilt thing. It's a little longer than their Scottish kilts, but they would pull these things up and show me, oh, look, I had this big, a big uh, gash in my leg, and Dr. Martha saved my life. I was bleeding to death, and she saved my life. Another one came up and said, you know, Dr. Martha, she, she saved my mother's life when, I was, when she was giving birth to me. Uh, and on and on. And then others would come up and say, Mr. Bill, he was a great guy. As a matter of fact, on the Sunday before he died, on Monday when this guy shot him, he had 102 donkeys loaded up with lentils and rice and oil and other things to send out to widows and orphans, widows and divorcees in that area. In Islam, there's lots of divorcees. And the women are left almost destitute in many places. And he was sending that out, and he sent that out. And this guy was saying he brought water to the jail for the first time. People went to jail. They would, not, they would have a death sentence because of the lack of sanitary water and sanitary things there in many places. And 
He brought water to the jail. I, I was walking through that city, and I got into the middle of, of that town, and there was about 200 people around me. And this man stood up and came to me, and he said in Arabic, he said, I want you to know that the man who killed Dr. Martha and Mr. Bill and Miss Kathy was not from this place. Because you see, our government forgets us. Our religion forgets us. But the Baptists never forget us. And I have the words ringing in my head to this day when he said, uh, Mr. Bill, he was a Sifar Allah. And Dr. Martha, Dr. Martha, she was a Sifar Allah. The ambassadors of God to us. Serving and proclaiming the gospel. 19 years later, if you have any desire to look into at, at statistics that Southern Baptists have, we have at least 45 people who were baptized in 2020 who said, we follow Christ. And one of the key people who are leading that whole process of there is a man who came and lived in the same apartment my daughter lived with right there in the Horn of Africa in the same apartment building. And she had gone down and witnessed to his daughters, sharing stuff, being friends with them. And uh, uh, her team leader who was over that part of the world came and he said, I know you. Come to my house. And when he went to that house, that man said, at that point it was 13 years, he said, 13 years ago, I carried one of my cousins there to that hospital, and we stayed an extra day just to thank Dr. Martha because we'd never seen anyone love us that way. And when they killed her, I knew Islam was wrong. He came to faith. He's a mission person, uh, still working for God's glory. You see, when the gospel goes out in power, the power of demonstration married to the power of proclamation, so God changes this world. I, I just want to end on a personal note. Um, my brother, who is a historian of sorts, uh, and my wife together, they were sorting out something. In my dad's testimony, he always uh, shared a story, and this is what happened. Uh, in 1936, a missionary who had just found out her name, Lydia Green, went to a small church in Upper South Carolina. Uh, a little eight-year-old boy was there. His father had just lost his farm. and In every picture I've ever seen of that little boy, he had a dirty face. And on that day, that missionary used a flannel graph. I mean... Probably nobody knows what a flannel graph is, but, you know, you stick felt to it, and it, you can tell stories. And, and, and she had a, a gulf, a, a big chasm on there, and, and people were going over it, and she said they were going into a Christless eternity. And it captured that little boy's heart. He knew he was one of them. And then she laid a cross across that chasm and said, this cross is the bridge to life eternal, if you'll trust in Christ. That day, that little boy trusted Jesus. 
Now, here, um, almost 90 years later, um, his great-granddaughter, 14 years old, is leading um, Bible studies and uh, discipleship groups with her friends in southern France. You see, friends, brothers and sisters, the gospel comes to you and changes your life as it goes from you to those who need it. You can do nothing insignificant in this way. A lady in the backside of nowhere touches an eight-year-old boy uh, who in the end marries my mother and has me and all three of their children come to know faith. And now my three children have come to faith and my grandchildren. Uh, I have three of them who profess faith. I have two who are still young who haven't done that. Um, it made a difference to us. So today, my challenge to me and to you is, can I be a servant ambassador for this gospel to the people? You might be a doctor, a nurse. You might be a business person. You might be a musician. You, I don't know where God's placed you, but he's placed you there, and there are people there who are in desperate need of you to be who God wants you to be for their sake. Would you do that? Would you take that? Would you be involved in that? That's the commission that Paul brings us in this place. You know, you often don't think about sharing something with somebody like a tweet or an email or sending them a sermon or sending them a podcast. You don't often think of that as missions, but it is. It's not that you have to send it to the whole world or post every single thing we do at Clearview on your feed. But if, if you've heard a sermon or if you've listened to a podcast, think through your life. I mean, God, who needs to hear this? Sometimes it, it, it doesn't need to go on your Facebook page. Sometimes it needs to go on your Twitter. But sometimes just a simple text to one person can make all the difference in the world is sending them the Word of God in real time. Share it. You'll be surprised how far it goes.